Hello and welcome to a new episode of Keeping It Current. This is a unique episode of Keeping It Current because we are not looking forward, we're not looking at the present, we are looking back at 2020. So this episode is called KIC's 2020 Wipe. We'll be going over stories including Captain Tom Moore, Marcus Rashford's and the free school meals, as well as, of course, Cumgate. <laughs> and as well... Uh, I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. So, he's back again. The man, the myth, the legend. Jacob Reed is alongside me. Thank you very much for having me, Thomas. And uh, thank you for referencing Cumgate and then saying twice, I cannot do this alone. <laughs> also, as well, we've been looking over who the real heroes and villains are of 2020, as well as giving three predictions each about what's going to happen in 2021. As well as that, we'll have a bit of chatter about the recent events that developed yesterday, including the, everybody, pretty much everyone going into Tier 4, and of course the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. So first, we're going to be reviewing January to April. Well, 2020 has certainly been an interesting year. Before 2020, we wouldn't have a clue of what social distancing was, what would have been furlough, and about approximately about 5% of the UK would have used hand sanitizer before. So, uh, let's go back to January, and January the 31st, Mr. Reid. Of course, a massive day in the UK's history as we left the European Union, but a massive day for the year 2020, as that was the day the first COVID case in the UK was announced. So let's go back to Brexit. What 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 was your feeling when Brexit happened, Jacob? <laughs> I, I I didn't know that actually, but the first COVID case came on on on, on the first day or our last day in the EU. Is, is, does that tell us something? Is that an ominous sign? I don't know. Um, how do I feel about how did I feel about Brexit? Well, certainly I bunged in a bob to make Big Ben born. Um, no, I mean, I mean, it was an early bedtime, wasn't it? Didn't want to stay up till eleven o'clock. Maybe a, a quiet uh, resignation that the alleged ready meal had been put in the oven, and it was time to time to be force fed. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, what 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 is remarkable is that um, um, is that when the deal passed yesterday, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about later, it. it barely made the front of the, of the news uh, because we've come such a long way uh, since the election last year and the gridlock which I, I think is a good thing because no one likes division and um, it's not worth losing friends and family members over yeah of course uh, you said about the uh, Brexit thing but in journalism, we've been doing about things like a big news day. Like when there's one big story, usually other big stories will come out, and then they'll not be even on the top item of the news. Because obviously, yesterday we had the uh, COVID tears, which we'll go on to talk about in the next segment. And uh, also, we had the AstraZeneca vaccine coming through as well, and uh, the stuff about school. So it was completely undermined and like and like what it was in January when coronavirus was been, would have been way down in the news but it's like roles reversed now I, yeah I, I remember reading um, I think it was one of the new labor press officers um, wrote an email saying blah 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 it's a good day to bury bad news the idea when you've got a big story people people won't be it won't focus on a smaller one 
Yes, indeed. So, in uh, February, you know, the days when uh, COVID cases were starting to become a bit more prevalent, and then we also, you know, remember Italy. Italy was the first major country in Europe to get the COVID cases, and the thing is, people were still going to their half-term holidays, which may have been a part of how COVID became so prevalent in the UK. So you think when... In hindsight, if you were the government, when you heard about COVID being in Italy, should you have paused transport? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'd have done so much in hindsight. In, in hindsight, I think as, as, as really as soon as the news from Wuhan came out, you would have shut all the borders and stopped people from travelling because ultimately that's how it reached the country. And, you know, even today we're paying the price of that mistake. Certainly things were a lot more under control in the, in the summer, but COVID came to this country from from uh, uh, abroad. Uh, Trump would remind us that he calls it the China virus, which is a little bit uh, stupid of him. But, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I remember in... Um, was it late Feb, early March, when we were walking through school and they had NHS posters up saying, have you recently been to Italy or China and do you have a cough? If so, call 111. Um, which, you know, those were the days, weren't they, Thomas? Those were the days, indeed. The days of lunchtime math lessons. The days of the Jacob Reed toilet block at Craig's getting built. And, of course, the days of A-levels, which uh, I don't really want to go back to. Uh, so, March was obviously the month when it started getting deadly serious. So we had, first we had like the Prime Minister starting doing these press conferences and he was telling people who had a cough to stay at home. And then later, it was like a week later, obviously he changed his mind. But then there was kind of mixed messages from the Prime Minister, which I think has been the theme running throughout the pandemic. Uh, one of them was when he was shaking hands with people in the hospitals and saying that some of them were COVID patients. And, you know, it, at the end, it developed into what was the first national lockdown. When the schools closed, we had our A-levels cancelled, GCSEs were cancelled, etc. Non-essential shops forced to close, hospitality shut, entertainment venues shut, theatres and the arts having to shut, a complete shutdown. So, uh, Jacob, go, let's go back to March. And remember when Boris Johnson made that like message on TV that the next morning we were going to completely shut down. What was your feeling then? Um, well, what I, what I would say, as you said, when he started doing his press conferences, the harrowing thing to look back on is how full those rooms were with journalists. Of course, we got used to the television screen with the journalists coming in on Zoom, but um, in, the, in the OG format, they were all there cramped into the building, yeah. which um, shows, I suppose, how, how, how um, little... Um, we knew about the, the extent of the situation. Uh, when when Boris announced the lockdown, I mean, for, for me, the big thing was when we announced schools were shutting and exams were cancelled, which was actually, I think that was on the Wednesday and the lockdown was announced, if I remember I think it was the Monday. The Monday, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I do remember that so vividly, how it was that Wednesday night. They came out, I said, I was shocked. I was expecting the schools to close. But we were like, teachers were saying oh, it's going to be like three weeks, two weeks, etc. But it was, um, it was just how it ended up just rolling on and on and on. And then obviously finding out that the um, that we weren't going to have to do any more work towards our exams, you know, when it came out later on. 
it was it was quite a confusing time, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I I think it highlighted very clearly the need for good communication. So Boris's um, exact words when we announced that exams were cancelled was that exams will not take place this year as planned, which is ambiguous. Does is that to say they will they won't take place, or is that to say? They will take place, but differently to how they were planned at a different yeah. time or whatever. And although, yes, within a few days they clarified it, that felt like a heck of a long time when when um, it was such a such a big decision for uh, being being made on our behalf. And, and that, that's the thing as well. I, th- I think we certainly, um, in in that week um, when it was announced schools were closing, we, we felt like um, it was inevitable. But I certainly thought it would close one week left of that term there'd be two weeks of Easter holidays very convenient and then we would possibly be able to go back as, as, as normal um, you might say actually that cancelling the exams was one of the few things that the government has actually uh, made an early decision on um, however they were criticised for it because they shut schools before they shut pubs and you can see now they're trying to make up with that so uh, schools um um, in some capacity at least still open in tier 4 yes indeed so and then when we got into lockdown we saw things which you can never have imagined people were posting pictures of banana bread everywhere Their people's baking was going everywhere furlough was introduced where people who weren't able to go to work were going to get 80% of the pay and also PE with Joe became a thing Jacob, did you do any PE with Joe? Uh, no, no, I, I didn't. I'm sorry, Joe. Did you, Thomas? Uh, well, I did. I I saw him on this morning once. I was absolutely loving this morning during the first lockdown, and then you know came out and he was doing some you know star jumps. I thought I'd join in, and then I was like, after two, I was like, <gasps> and then obviously in April we, the lockdown was initially going to be three weeks, but then. Dominic Raab announced that it's going to be an extra three weeks after our Prime Minister went into hospital with COVID-19. That just seems such a long time ago, doesn't it? When Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock as well got COVID. It just seems a long time ago, doesn't it? That does. I mean, there, there are things you forget, but I, I, I mean, I don't know if you found it um, this way as well, Thomas. But for me, those first three weeks, so they said there's a lockdown. We're not, we don't know how long it'll have to be, but we'll review every three weeks. And so, for me, mentally, that, that week number three is what we're working towards. And that first week and a half felt like a very, yeah, very long time. Yeah, it felt like a very, very long time, yeah. And then the, the highlight of each day, the way you could tell that the days were changing and progressing was tuning into the daily briefing and seeing which colour tie Matt Hancock was wearing today. And... <laughs> and, and you know, the time when they changed, they finally changed the slogan on the lecterns. I mean, that was a big moment. That, that yeah. was a big well, moment. Well, we'll get on the... to that later in the May to August review, of course. And... Yeah, there was the day as well when I, when I found out that uh, Jonathan uh, Van Tam stands on a little platform. For yeah, the day yeah. That we... J- JVT, as he's now fondly known. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and, and died <laughs> certainly in the hearts of a nation. Now, I've got to. I don't wish to be a conspiracy theorist, but let me just put it out there and say I think Matt Hancock has a has a very soft spot for for Dido. Yes, for Dido, of course. We shall talk about um, later about the launch of Test and Trace. So, as well Wait, as that, <laughs> what? Test and Trace was launched. Why did no one tell me? Oh, I don't know. Have you not got the app, Jacob? Have you been living in the Stone Ages? Was an app? Oh wow! He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Okay. Also, uh, in April, Boris Johnson's partner Carrie Simmons gave birth to little Wilfred, and as well, we saw some unique uh, things happening through lockdown. And one of them was the rise of TikTok. Jacob, Jacob, are you interested in TikTok? Yes. I can. I can tell. I can tell. Also in April, we saw the emergence of the legend that has become Captain Tom Moore. Of course, Captain Tom went a hundred, set a goal to go a hundred times around his garden, walking in time for his hundredth birthday, and he raised over £30 million for the NHS. And also, not just that, he also got to number one on the charts with a charity single with Michael Ball, with their version of You'll Never Walk Alone. So, Jacob, what do you think of Captain Tom's efforts? Oh, I think it, one, of the, one of the many lovely, life-affirming, heartening stories of the, um, of, of the lockdown, of the year. Everyone got behind him, a bit of a national treasure. Wonderful that he, he, he gained such recognition. Obviously, he was, was knighted by the Queen. Yeah. Um, I know certainly my my uh, my grandma. Um, you know, my, well, I'll just say my granddad should watch out because if 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 Tom is ever on the market, my grandma would want to want to sweep him up. <laughs> yeah, indeed, and uh, Tom shares a big uh, a big similarity with you, Jacob Reed, as you are both massive fans of Formula One. We are. He was actually, um, or oh, he does have the offer to get a tour around the McLaren. F1 factory, which oh, well, uh, I'm very jealous yeah. about. That, that is very cool. Yes, so uh, congratulations to Tom. And also in April, we we had something. It didn't come out of the news until May. We'll come on to that later. But uh, Dominic Cummings also got uh, COVID symptoms. And um, something happened about that. But more on to that in the May to August review. So now we're going to move on to... Ridley's Roundup, the roundup of the latest stories this week. Many of us are now into tier 4 COVID restrictions, which is basically lockdown, lockdown by nature, but not lockdown by name. Pretty much similar to what we had in November, more on that later. And what... Uh, what do you think, Jacob, that 78% of the country are now in Tier 4 restrictions? And we're in Cumbria here, which has had typically low infections throughout most of the pandemic, have found ourselves in Tier 4, jumping from Tier 2 to Tier 4. So why do you think that we've suddenly had that rise in infections? Um, well, Thomas, um, I, I, I've not seen the figures, but I think... Suspect number one, public enemy number one, is this new strain of coronavirus that originated in Kent and is said to be, what, 50% plus more um, 
transmissible than the original strain and also increasing the R rate by 0.4. And I, 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 I feel deeply, deeply frustrated about this, Thomas. I don't mean to moan, but the moment, the moment they found out that there was this new highly transmissible strain, the entire country should have been in lockdown. Because by the time they realised it, cases were already around the country. Yes, maybe one or two, maybe not as many in the northwest as in mm-hmm. the south, but it spreads. People move about, mm-hmm. and it was inevitable from that point on that other places in the country were about to see the same exponential growth that London had seen, yeah. and other places in the south. And yet they. they, they and the, the other key, absolutely fundamental lesson from the pandemic up to this point is that no one's ever said, damn it, you acted too soon. You int- you closed the borders too soon. You um, introduced the first lockdown too soon. Because these things are exponential. When, when you're delaying, you're not only delaying the inevitable, but the inevitable then becomes even more painful and longer. And so it is, um, goodness me. And I mean, I mean, the logic of the tier system, Thomas, which you would like to think uh, would have worked this time round um, had this new strain not, not existed. I mean, it makes perfect sense that some areas have higher levels of infection than others, put them on more restrictions. And if that's a uniform set of tiers as opposed to the ad hoc, confusing approach of the start of the year, then... Um, then even better. But let me let me um, posit the suggestion that with the vast majority of the country in tier four, all that's happening now with those places that are in tier three at the moment, firstly, it's prolonging the inevitable. And secondly, it's um, reducing social cohesion. In that when you have a national lockdown, you feel like you're all in mm-hmm. it together. And, yeah. you know, you know that, that you're in the same boat. I think there's a real sense of social cohesion. You go out and clap and, you know, that wherever you go around the country, uh, you're in the same situation. And that's not the case now. Um, and I, I, I think that's potentially a, a harmful thing that maybe is even reducing mm-hmm. compliance with the rules. Indeed. And who, we've got, I think we've got a massive record break here from the quickest time to go from the lowest infection rates in the country to the highest infection rates in the country goes to Isle of Wight. They're in tier one, like about two weeks ago, and now they're in tier four. <laughs> so you know, it's uh, very intriguing. So also yesterday as well, it was a big news day yesterday, as I would say in in journalism, we would say a big news day, and we got the news that uh, schools were going to further delay their opening in the uh, after christmas so what's the plan is i think ma- majority of primary schools will go back as planned on the 4th of january but also secondary schools have been delayed a further week so there's going to be a delay anyways but on the 11th exam years will go back to secondary schools and then on the 18th the rest of them will go back to secondary schools jacob what do you think about this decision because we've seen some scientists coming out saying that we can't lower the R number to below one until schools and universities have been closed. 
Yeah, well, I think um, I think it makes sense, doesn't it? It's good to see that education is the, the last thing standing, the government's uh, big priority. But especially if this new variant is, is believed to be more transmissible among young people, then you can understand the problem of having, mm-hmm. you know, classes classes of 30. And, and I dare say as well that, um, you know, we didn't hear as much yesterday on universities, but I think that more or less speaking, when you're at university, you're in uh, effectively an enclosed bubble, largely of uh, people of a similar age, right? So obviously you go to the Mm. supermarket and whatever else. Whereas when you're at school, you're coming straight back home every day to your family, your parents. um, And uh, and so you can understand, I think the big complaint is very understandable is how short notice it was i mean yesterday was wednesday the 30th teachers are uh, in theory at least off for a well-deserved well-needed uh, holiday and yet they've been asked to completely yeah. shake everything up they'll be going manic during the lesson planning etc you know having That's to change I mean, the plans from face-to-face classes for the first couple of weeks to going to the online approach and the mixture of online and face-to-facing the week starting the 11th because it's going to be difficult they'll have to shift timetables around and stuff like that because how are some teachers expected to be teaching face-to-face while teaching online that is that is the question and i'm sure a better human such as your good self mr elite would be able to do that <laughs> yeah, just make a clone or do that a hologram like Kanye Wested of Kim Kardashian's wife. Uh, Kim Kardashian's wife? Kim Kardashian's dad. Dad, yes. Okay, so also we had the great news yesterday that the uh, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine has been approved. Yay! That means there's over 140 doses of vaccine approved for use in the UK with 40 million doses of the AstraZeneca, of the Pfizer vaccine and 100 million doses of the Oxford vaccine. Obviously, everyone needs two doses, but that will be enough to vaccinate the whole population. But it's the speed of the vaccine is the issue, the rollout of the vaccine. Some people are saying it's too slow, but then you've got to think about the logistics around this. Like The Pfizer vaccine needs to be kept really cold, but it's more logistical for the... Um, for the transport and storage of the Oxford vaccine, isn't it? So it's going to be difficult to see how quickly that how how it's going to be done because Boris Johnson has come out being optimistic, saying the fifth of April things are going to be normal. But what if there's some bumps in the road? Yeah, and that's the thing. And I, I think even the harshest critic of the government has to acknowledge that some of it is out of the government's control in terms of the supply of a vaccine itself but the magic number we're working towards is 25 million so that's the number of people the government has prioritized to get a vaccine so that's people over is it over the age of 50 uh healthcare workers and uh, those with underlying health conditions and uh, i'm no scientist and i want to defer to scientists on this point but let me let me just suggest that it will get to a point when those 25 million people have been vaccinated, the government can then say, right, anyone who is still susceptible to get COVID will not uh, end up in a in a grave way, and therefore we can very, uh, very, li- very much liberalise the restrictions um, and have a great big 
bonanza there. Um, one thing that I think is worth noting, and I didn't realise this until the other day, so there's a lot of talk in the media about the uh, effectiveness of the different vaccines, you know, the uh, BioNTech and Pfizer won 90%, 94% was it on the Moderna, and the Oxford won a bit lower on 60% or maybe higher if you give a lower second dose or if you put the second dose a uh, longer, longer time after the first. But the important thing to note is that in all of these trials, uh, people who receive a vaccine, even if they then do get infected, um, they don't get it as bad. Um, no one in the 30,000 people for the Oxford vaccine trial uh, who got COVID um, um, died or was, was seriously ill, which is very, very good news and is certainly the yeah. way the only way yeah. really out of the pandemic the only exit of course so so it'd be interesting to see how many doses they're able to bring out a week because i think the oxford astrazeneca vaccine says they may have a couple million doses ready to go so if we're getting at that rate of two million a week that would suggest that that would make the prime minister's goal um let's just say more achievable because but if it's like 1 million, then maybe not until June. That's the thing. So it's certainly going to be interesting yeah, I mean, to see, isn't it? It's, it's interesting because um, you might say that we just can't know at this stage how long it's going to take. You might also say that Boris um, has a track record of U-turns and optimistic targets. But equally, um, we remember back in March when he said it would take 12 weeks to turn the tide. And in, in all fairness, after 12 weeks, you know, we were in a better situation and if he was committing committing to a date um you know no one no one forced him to do that he could have just said well, i'm sorry we don't know so 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 there must be reasonable confidence in government circles about that one okay so now we're going to move on to the review of may to august In May, the first easing of lockdown restrictions happened. With Boris Johnson's message on the TV, it was very, very a bit of a wish-washy message because he was telling people to return to work. But then he's going like, like, if you can't go to work, don't go to work. It was quite a bit wish-washy. As well, I also saw the introduction of being able to see one person outside, which is obviously best, better for people. And it also saw the return of sports in some capacity with golf clubs and tennis courts opening, etc. But the main thing... Formula One. Uh, Formula One, of course. That wasn't until today, Jacob. Um, but the main thing, of course, that happened in May, I think, was Cumgate, of course. Dominic Cummings... It coming out of the paper that Dominic Cummings made a trip, a 300-mile trip across the country during the severest of lockdown restrictions. He did say it was for his childcare, but he also then made another trip a couple of weeks later, 30 mile trip to Barnet Castle, which he said was to test out his eyesight. But his wife and his child were in the car, so if he had doubts of his eyesight, why would he take his two most loved people in his life in the car with him? Why would he even drive to test your eyesight? I mean, God, what? <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, say something. <laughs> um, yes, but why would you? 
I'm just thinking about it, Thomas, and I think one thing that's very striking from you know, politically is how much political uh, credit Boris Johnson spent on defending Dominic Cummings and not firing him for him to just go and sack him uh, a few months later. Um, Evidently, that wasn't in the plan because otherwise he would have just thought, "Well, a few months earlier, what difference? What difference does it make?" Yes, indeed. And also, the thing is that I think it came out in the press that it was actually the day he went to Barrack Castle was the day it was his wife's birthday. Interesting fact. And then we also got that really, really weird press conference in the garden. Now, and yeah, the journalists I mean, came up and walked up the questions, and nothing, nothing happened. Usually, you think if it's a press conference, he would be standing down, but he just nothing happened. I mean, that was unprecedented to see. Basically, a nobody, a nobody in that he's not been elected. He has no uh, democratic political authority to give a press mm-hmm. conference like that. It's absolutely. Staggering. I, I, the point about about Barnard Castle, Barnard Castle has has um, perhaps always will be a, a meme from this point forth. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but whatever the merits or not of, of a childcare arrangements driving up to Durham, yeah, I'm tempted to say fair enough. Mm. But the trip to Barnard Castle was a jolly, a jaunt for a nice day out with a family on the birthday to a pretty spot. And at that time, that was against the rules. Now, you might be willing to say, and I think this would be very fair, that, that well, have been careful, they won't have seen anyone, they're outside. But, but, but the point it begged is, all over the newspapers, does that reduce compliance? If people mm-hmm. think the people who are making these rules are not sticking to them, then I won't either. And um, that, was, that was, in my mind, the problem. Also, in May, we had the tragic murder of George Floyd, which sparked protests and the big emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement, which we have already talked into quite a lot of detail on the show before. So we'll move on to the next bit. We also had in June the largest, well, not the largest easing of lockdown, but the biggest social easing of lockdown when you're allowed to go and meet with up to six people outside your house and outdoor spaces and we also saw the introduction of government advising people to wear face masks. Jacob do you think that the face masks came a bit too late? Um, in, well, so this is this is the thing that in hindsight yes because we know now that in, in a, some way they do help and so they should have been uh, we should have all been wearing them since the start of the year. Um, you, you've got the idea that the science changes, and um, as as the understandings changes, studies change, then the advice inevitably changes as well. But you've got to think it was a bit inconsistent. So, what was it from from the middle of June or whenever it was compulsory to wear masks on public transport? What on earth was the delay between then and the middle of August to make them compulsory in shops? And again, it's a question of messaging, of compliance, because in Scotland, from a moment non-essential shops reopened, uh, you had to wear a mask. You had to wear a mask, yeah. Exactly. People in England got used to not wearing a mask, and, um, and, 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 and that probably probably hurt things. 
Also in June, we saw the emergence of Marcus Rashford's campaign to co allow free school meal vouchers to continue during the holiday. And obviously, the government first decided that this weren't going to continue. But then he U-turned again. It was a several another U-turn because obviously a U-turn saying about the face mask, saying the face masks are not effective enough, no scientific evidence. And he came and changed his mind on the school meals. Do you think? It was good to see Marcus Rashford using his stance in his public stance, but do you think that was a turning point in people's views of the government that they weren't going to continue these school meals for people who are already struggling and their parents will have been, may have been on the furlough scheme and losing 20% of their wages? Yeah, I mean, I think um, popularity in the government dipped as um, Boris started to get better after his illness, to so kind of rally around the flag effect. It's you known yeah. it's died down. Uh, people were less concerned about Boris. Um, and and yeah, another another U-turn. The the point is that if you if you believe that free school meals was the right thing to do, then you can't criticise the government's U-turn too much because they were U-turning to to something you agree with. But again, it begs the question: Why didn't they just do that in the first place? It strikes a bad judgment. But yeah, it's really obviously really good to see Marcus Rashford using his profile in that way. And there was a documentary on on the on iPlay that I mean yeah. to watch about. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. It was very very good, very interesting. It showed what his his, his background. It showed his mother and who is his mother was giving such in depth interviews about their experiences of going without food, saying that some days she was going without food just to give her children food. It was obviously it's such a it does make you think about how fortunate you are to be in situations like you are, doesn't it? Definitely, it puts things in perspective. And also in June saw the return of Elite Sports with Premier League Football returning and then at the start of July we saw Formula 1 returning. More on ah, Formula yes. 1 more on Formula One later in the later part of the show because a certain someone to do with Formula 1 has got a knighthood in the Queen's Honours list. I'm not sure whether Jacob approves or disapproves of it. <laughs> Wait, Jensen Button got a knighthood? <laughs> no, I actually think... I thought it was Lando Norris, Jacob. <laughs> okay. It's time maybe join And Russell. also, July saw Super Saturday, the biggest easing of lockdown yet, where we saw the reopening of cinemas, uh, museums, etc. We saw hospitality reopen. And... Yeah, it was a uh, Super Saturday. You now think of the timing of that. Do you think because there's still like a death toll was still about a hundred? Do you think this should have been left a little bit later to the end of July, maybe? Um, no, I I don't. I think it was about the right time. There's obviously sadly a little bit of a, a lag on those figures coming through, and I I think um, if if you're being fair or maybe slightly generous to the government. I, I think one of the big successes of the pandemic was the way in which July, August, cases stayed very low whilst we regained a lot of our freedoms. Um, however, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Thomas, that, that felt there, kind of from, from what you've described, May into Super Saturday was, was, was the kind of 
final big easing of restrictions, mm. and it felt it felt like a time of real optimism that yeah. things were going in the right direction. We were regaining our ability to see friends, yeah. do the things we really enjoyed um, enjoyed doing. But I remember as well how careful we were at one point. So my my, my friend, I remember, um, came came for an outside walk, and um, she needed to go to go to the to the toilet and let me tell you Thomas that is still on my guilty conscience that she ran into her house um, and came back out to, to use a bathroom and, and let me tell you as well that the uh, the bathroom was fully and completely uh, sanitized after that and sadly I think we all got used to um, you know being being a little bit uh, less less careful and, and, and yeah maybe that's one of the reasons yeah why the difficulties we're in now yeah and as well on superstar state it also uh, came out that people were allowed to mingle households inside again with one household uh, and one well two households allowed to mix in one house and people were also allowed to go on holiday and then we move into august which was eat out to help out tell me what do you think of eat out to help out then jacob oh tell us that I forgot about that, but that brings a big smile because uh, we we went to um, we, oh goodness goodness me just see that lovely button on each till on each receipt half price yes please receipt and as well um, that would be another one of the government's uh, big successes in my opinion it quite quite simply it, it, it worked there's a wonderful graph in the Economist um, showing showing. But I, but I actually eat out to help out work because obviously trips to restaurants increased on those days. Was it Monday to Thursday when eat out to help out was in Monday to Wednesday? But it also increased um, Monday to Wednesday. It also increased on the days when it wasn't, which is to say that it did its job in uh, showing people that it was yeah. safe, um, mm. or that they could feel safe at least going to restaurants. Um, of 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 course. Um, maybe you would say it's, it wasn't safe or that, that feeling was a, a bad feeling for, for these last few months and it might seem to be contradictory to the government's stated aim as well at, uh, of mm-hmm. o- reducing obesity but um, there we yeah. go. Yes indeed and uh, August also saw a big major first in the podcast world where Jacob Reed presented his first episode of <laughs> Keeping It Current. That was a big moment, Tom. I know, it, it was very enjoyable, actually. You should do it again sometime, maybe. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move on to the next part of the show, which is who are our 2020 heroes and villains? So... These are our 2020 heroes and villains. So I'm going to start off with my heroes first. So uh, number one is Joe Wicks. Uh, Joe Wicks obviously did the Pew of Joe. And then later on in the year, in November, he ended up raising over £2 million to children in need by doing his um, 24-hour exercise form. And uh, obviously we had Captain Tom Muir and Marcus Rashford as well. And uh, Jacob, I think you might agree with this one. Do you think Jacinda Ardern deserves a place in there? Definitely. I think, well, well, I mean, in terms of tormenting us on to see how a good government could respond to things, um, maybe not, but, but yeah, clearly um, an incredible job she's done. Uh, and of course, of course, our heroes as well. We've got uh, our, all our key workers and NHS staff. 
of course. Absolutely, over over people who are clapping all those all those times. And yeah, as well as that, all the scientists who've worked so hard on the coronavirus vaccines. Big well done to them. So we move on to the villains now, which is going to take much more longer than the heroes, I think. <laughs> so, Jacob, we just realised that we've got to mention this in August, so we're going to go to Gavin Williamson, of course, the Education Secretary, with the mutant algorithm, as Boris Johnson described it. Uh, when, obviously, when we got our ALL results, uh, loads, about 30 or 40% of the teachers' grades were moved down a grade by the algorithm. Uh, I don't think anybody's got their moved up, really, so... But then, obviously, the U-turned again a couple of days later. So what did you think of that whole thing? Because, obviously, I know people we know were greatly impacted by that, weren't they? Definitely. I mean, I mean, a, bi- a big number. Um, you know, we've got some friends, Thomas, who sadly have had to take a gap year, not out of choice, but because they were initially... Uh, denied for grades they deserved and would mm-hmm. ultimately go on to get when they when they sat for real exams and um, and, and and sadly I mean we talked about this in, in detail I do think a few months ago but sadly I think it was predictable um, the idea that an algorithm was going to be as strict as a real thing when in the real thing it often grades are allocated you know on the borderline as a result of of, of chance and whatever else and i mean in fairness we saw a similar u-turn in all four nations of the uk but you might suggest that uh, nicholas sturgeon for example handled it better they were a lot quicker to revert Mm. to uh, teacher grades the interesting thing of course is that uh, gavin williamson is adamant that gcse's and a levels are going ahead as planned next year yeah whereas the other nations are saying no it's going to be coursework teachers and they're already going to be losing another week of education after losing five months exactly (sighs) which is obviously a very difficult thing that's the thing. One, one, one thing I, um, I kind of changed my opinion on a little bit. I, 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 I was a bit sceptical of the decision to cancel exams because um, in terms of an exam room, I mean, think about it, perfect, good social distancing between the tables anyway. Um, but, but I realise now that the reason to cancel exams wasn't necessarily I think because... it's the mental impact because yeah. the impact on young people who naturally want to socialise about everywhere... And, you know, like me, no social butterfly. <laughs> um, no, yeah, the impact it had this year will have had on some people who were so used to go, going out every Friday night, going for going to meet the mates at the pub, etc. Thomas, do you always talk about yourself in the first person? <laughs> um, yeah, you've got that, and you've got actually the fact that the teaching was so interrupted. Yeah, yes, as well. And, and, yeah, of uh, course. Because I remember as well, like, I just couldn't concentrate on that last couple of weeks. It was so hard because there's all the uncertainty and there's still the uncertainty now. And you're thinking, he's delayed, the, Williamson has delayed the exams by three weeks. It's not enough. I, they, they could go to a, a format of coursework or just teacher assessments and just to, teach, just to let them know that these tests are going to be assessments. Yeah, just to be grading off mocks. They've done some things like you're going to get a formula book, whoopie do da. you're going to... Um, yeah, you got no poetry on GCSE English. Oh, nice. <laughs> and, you know, great, great... You're going, to be told, you're going to be told what your topics are, but 
still, I, I think it's quite hard, you know, to expect these people to get on with it while their parents and many other people are being told to stay at home. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think it, it should ignite a broader debate about the merits of the education system and the, the way of awarding mm-hmm. qualifications. Mm-hmm. I know uh, a review into how exams are used has been launched in, in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Will we see a similar thing here? Um, we've not really heard anything from Keir Starmer and is it Kate Green in, on, on their education mm-hmm. plans, but it wouldn't be surprising if, if they were to re-examine the role of exams. Yes, indeed. So another, well, I've got another hero actually, Jacob, I think we've forgotten. The wonderful Chris Whitting, of course. <laughs> yep, yep, who, um, you, just, you just told me, I didn't realise this, has spent his Christmas working in the COVID wards in London, uh, just as... Um, just, just as a regular GP. Although let me, let me say, let me be devil's advocate and say I think it's an interesting question as to at what extent the slowness of the lockdown, the first lockdown, was down to Boris's incompetence, and to what extent was it um, a re- result of the slowness of the advice of the medical advisors? And that will. But also, you could say, is it the advice of those advisors that were closest to? Uh, that's, that's the thing. Although we do, we do know that um, as early as the middle of September, they were calling for a second firebreaker lockdown. Um, and I, I think one of the things that will come out of this pandemic is, first of all, for the official opposition, maybe other opposition parties as well, to be included in Sage meetings and maybe the the, the contemporary publication of minutes of Sage meetings, because at the minute, the minute, the minutes are published but they're published weeks after the fact which when the situation is evolving so fast isn't very helpful so mr rig do you have a villain of 2020 that you want to share with us well oh um well I, donald trump has, has got yeah got to be a, God. donald trump who says coronavirus is gonna be gone my the chinese virus gonna be gone by easter no and then it's still here now and obviously they he has denied it and denied it, and then the election, which we'll go and talk about later, has oh, he's undermined democracy, and I, there's not enough to say about Trump. Also, I think the biggest villain of the year, of course, is COVID-19, ruining so many people's lives, and obviously taking so many of them as well. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, been such a tough year, so fingers crossed for a better 2021, of course. Fingers crossed. Well, one thing I would say is that I think 2019 has actually gone off quite lightly so far. When in fact it's COVID-19, it originated in 2019, it was yeah. en route to the UK in 2019. It I'll was... just put it out there. 2019 also we had uh, the Conservative Speaker election victory, which I don't know. If it, hopefully they get rid of fixed term parliament because I, I don't think they'll be able to last five years. Um, okay, so next up we're going to review September to December. Mm-hmm. 
September started to see another rise in coronavirus cases, which first brought in the government decided to bring in the rule of six, where you could, in any space, you could only mix with six people. So, what do you think about the rule of six, Jacob? Because I know the things changed, and like another couple of weeks later, do you think they're too slow on changing the things? Because I know, obviously, firebreakers lockdowns were implemented in Wales earlier and stuff like that. Yeah, so the rule, rule of six is a curious one. In one respect, yes, one of the criticisms of the government was that it wasn't being clear enough in its messaging. And, you know, depending on where you were, there's a different number of people inside and outside from a different number of households. And the rule of six is, is easy to remember. But the problem is that it was billed actually as, you know, one of the first measures to try and curb the, the, the gentle rising in cases and yet in many respects it was a liberalization because it didn't come with a, a particular number of households i think previously had it been like indoors you could meet was it eight people from or two households or something and now they're just saying six mm-hmm. people from in theory yeah. up to six households and there wasn't any um the, the, the problem is it's important to communicate clearly but these things are also complicated, and sometimes it needs details. So needs a limit on the number of households. Yeah. Needs a limit on the number of households you're interacting with a day. Yeah, because I know Nicholas Sturgeon did the thing where it said you can have eight people mix up together, but only from up to three households. So yeah, exactly. it's, it's it's so it's the fact that you could have three friends from, uh, not me, uh, two families, two families of four couldn't mix together. While six individuals from different households could. That was quite confusing, I think, what the logic behind that was. Yeah, and a final inconsistency was about children. The fact that was it under twelve-year-olds in mm-hmm. Scotland were exempt from any any total uh, because they were known to to be um, less less likely to carry and pass on the virus. Whereas in England there wasn't, and that was an interesting point because MPs. Uh, a theme of this year is how MPs have, have, have grappled for some sort of role in the decision-making yeah. <laughs> process. And the argument from some backbenchers was that these sorts of inconsistencies would have been ironed out if they'd been subject to proper parliamentary debate as opposed to just a retrospective vote that yeah. had already mm. been implemented. Yes. Um, but going on that MPs implementing things, a lot of times Keir Starmer's come out saying, I don't support the rules. But I'm not voting against them. It's a bit, no, it's a bit wishy-washy, isn't it? Because I, I know I said I was very impressed with Keir Starmer in the first few months, but I think is the role of the opposition is to oppose the government. I know they'll say that these restrictions need to be implemented, but if he want, if he's saying something different, why didn't he just go straight out no? Oh, I mean, this is an interesting. Thing. My, my, at the minute, I'm still, um, I still think Keir Starmer is doing a good job. I, but, but the point, the point is that on most of these restrictions, Labour have so few MPs that perhaps their voting no wouldn't have changed anything. On some of the more recent votes, you have had a number of Tory backbenchers who are unhappy with the with the severity of the of the constraints. But I think, I mean, he, if you're asking Keir Starmer, not to say this is my opinion, but if you're asking him, he would say he's been practising constructive opposition, which is to say um, trying to improve the government's decision-making 
process. As for as for whether the government has actually listened to Labour, uh, to Keir Starmer, that's another thing. Certainly they called for some things that the government ended up doing afterwards. So you got free school meals, you've got furlough. exams, uh, you've got uh, furlough. As, whether that's just because the Labour were ahead yeah. of the curve as opposed to the government directly listening to Labour. It's an interesting thing which yeah. I, I wonder if we'll talk about momentarily, but Labour supported the Brexit deal that just, uh, yeah. just went through. Also, we saw the increased use of local restrictions in September, especially when the North East, the whole of the North East got put into that 10pm curfew on the bars and no household mixing. Uh, but a lot of other places had been in them restrictions for the whole year. Places like Leicester, who had been in a full-on lockdown. Uh, Greater Manchester weren't allowed to mix households since July, so they wouldn't have had... They weren't allowed to mix households from when you were allowed to mix households. So they've been effectively on the Tier 2 restrictions for the whole year. And, you know, then it came into October when they decided to bring in these tier systems on local areas. And it brought on more misery for those places which had already been in the toughest tiers and the government weren't offering the financial support. And we saw that with the big row between Andy Burnham, the Greater Manchester Mayor, and the government. So what do you think what do you think about Andy Burnham's actions during that those times? Um, well as for as as for the merits of what each side was, was wanting um, I think the government was probably right for wanting to curb the spread of cases, yeah. but if they were unwilling to provide the corresponding financial support, then you can absolutely understand Andy Burnham's position. I yeah. think the, the, the sad thing is that Andy Burnham, despite having a great uh, democratic legitimacy, had no real power other than to try and persuade the government, yeah. which ultimately the government decided yeah. to override mm-hmm. him. And I wonder how would the situation, Thomas, have been different if, um, if you know, Andy Burnham had powers... Uh, over public health in Manchester, if Sadiq Khan had powers over public health in London, and not mm. uh, not just that, but taxation and spending yeah. for things like furlough. And I wonder, in a really exciting vision, we could have had you know lots of different regions in the UK, maybe eight or ten regions, and they all had their own scientists and elected officials, mm. and they were trying their own policies, and they, they were looking at each other and saying, that policy's great, it's working, this one isn't. Yeah, here's, the, here's the chief medical officer for Barrett and <laughs> <laughs> That's a ring to it. You could get that printed on a business card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I, I was actually in Manchester at a time. It's quite an uncertain time because of the not knowing that whether they were going to, in what was tier three in the first tier system, whether we were going to go into that. It was quite uncertain and quite worrying to know that they're playing. It was like playing a dice. They were like a dice, you know, rolling the dice and seeing whether you're landing on the economy or people's lives. At the end of the day, they'll be wanting to save people's lives, but you can understand where Burnham's coming from, that he was standing up for his people, the people who weren't going to... Because they had the job support scheme in place, which was going to be introduced after furlough, before furlough got extended, and they were only going to be getting paid 66% of their wages by the government. Which was... yeah. It it, it it was a very difficult one, but I, I think Burnham did a good job by standing up because when you go to the proportion of money that the government gave to places 
per population, I think they had significantly less than places like Lancashire and Liverpool, who also got put yeah. to tier three at that time. Definitely, and and disappointing you might say for a government whose uh, whose primary aim they tell us is to level up the country. Yes, indeed. And then we moved on to the end of October when that squabbling, uh, in the end up with Manchester ending up being in tier three for a week. And the national second national lockdown circuit breaker, fire breaker, whatever you like to call it, was brought in. And I remember it was on Halloween. It's like Boris Johnson has found out that these sage figures are coming through about two hundred fifty thousand deaths or something like that. And again, do you think they were too late because Sage did advise them in September for the two week fire breaker? Yeah, I think I mean they were, um, and I. I mean, the, the figure that springs to mind is the one that was, was talked about when, when they were talking about easing restrictions at Christmas, which is for every one day of loosened restrictions, you need uh, five days of tightened restrictions. Well, if it took the government from the middle of September, when they were first told to do a two-week firebreaker, to the start of November to actually implement it, how many days is that? Mm-hmm. How many? How, how many five days of tightened restrictions yeah. would, would it have needed? Um, yeah, uh, too too late. Sadly. So that was mainly what happened in November. The country was under a four-week circuit breaker lockdown, and I, we did we did talk about it quite a lot in the last episode that we did, and it was um, as I said then, it didn't feel like lockdown, and my my mum and dad said that they didn't think it felt like lockdown because. Traffic was still going about the road. People weren't given, even though it was a stay-at-home order, people weren't exactly staying at home because schools were meant to be open, still stay open, and people would be going to drop their kids off at school, etc., like that. So they weren't necessarily staying at home all the time. and It didn't feel like a proper lockdown, like as the first lockdown did. I mean, that's the thing. I think there's a bit of confused messaging now with the tier system um so tier is it is it tier one is medium tier two is high tier three is very high or something like tier that. four I'm stay at home <laughs> yeah exactly but, but then they say oh stay at home but you can still go out on your walk with another person or yeah stay at home stay at home unless stay at home unless you're going to work or you can go to university or school it's it's confusing the messaging because if they put out the outright stay at home order, then maybe people would just stay at home and abide by the rules. Yeah. I mean, we all got so used to that refrain, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. One thing I would say is that um, when the first lockdown was introduced, uh, we really had, the scientists had a lot less knowledge and understanding of the situation than we did now. There was no testing, uh, no understanding of, of you know, masks, for example. And so you might say that the fact that you're still allowed to meet one person outside, it's, it's a very smart thing to do, in that they realise it probably has a very negligible effect on, on the transfer of the virus. But the di- from our perspective of being locked down, the difference between being able to meet no one and being able to meet one person outside is, is a big one. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. So, it's, um, then we go out into December, which obviously saw the re-emergence of Brexit and the Brexit trade deal, which, as you said, has been voted in yesterday. And it was very, very, very 
uncertain for a long time until the last few days before Christmas really and then it was uh, oh it was just like ping pong it was going fishing and just saying on the phones and then Boris Johnson was going to Brussels and everything and then he says prepare for an Australia style deal which is basically prepare for no deal it was very confusing that period of Brexit but do you think people still actually do you think people know what's actually happening now even as the vote as the vote happened yesterday and this has been voting and do you think people know what the trade deal consists of? Because if, if if you if you ask me, I I don't gen, I don't know really. I mean, no, I mean you have to I, read I the one thousand two hundred page document and got what what are them businesses feeling like New Year's Eve? It changes at like eleven o'clock tonight. <laughs> it's um, it's it. They haven't had a long time to prepare for this time, businesses. So. No, I mean, having said that, I think it was a it was a quiet relief. Um, that yeah. we didn't have a no-deal situation. It begs the question, was Boris bluffing all along about no-deal? Was it a yeah. negotiating strategy? Um, and I suppose we'll, we'll never know or not, not no. into the future. Until he releases an autobiography. Two interesting points. Uh, first of all, it feels almost like Brexit is done. Like finally, you know, obvious time after the referendum, there's the withdrawal agreement, there's been the transition period, the future trade deal. But no, this is only the start of, of Brexit, and when we'll see how, how because we'll fares. see how the businesses adapt to the new trading regulations, and it's going to be certainly interesting time. But as at the moment, it will take the back seat in the news of the COVID story, so we probably won't know. Maybe that's a reason why we don't know what's in the Brexit deal, because if it was this time last year, it would have been all over the news, wouldn't it? And But with the COVID pandemic still going on, obviously COVID affects everyone. Brexit, The Brexit trading doesn't really affect everyone, does it? Well, it does affect everyone, have an impact, but... It doesn't, yeah, in yeah. terms of the nitty-gritty, the technical details. And, I mean, you might say as well that we don't know um, a lot about the Brexit deal because of what wasn't included. Uh, so, for example, uh, there was very little detail on uh, financial services, which mm-hmm. makes up, I believe, about 80% of our exports. So uh, you might say that was an yeah. ominous omission. And also in December, as well as Brexit, we count that short national lockdown on the 2nd of December. And the free tier system was introduced with only Cornwall, the Isles of City, and the Isle of Wight being in tier one to start with. Uh, none, uh, none of them are in tier one now. And uh, most of the other places being in tier two and tier three. Which, in some places, in tier two and tier one, fans were allowed to return to football and return to theatres, etc. But then, uh, when the new variant arrived, as we spoke about earlier on, the government decided to introduce Tier 4 just five days before Christmas. And obviously we said the mixing of households and he changed it five days before Christmas. But Boris Johnson was insistent about the Christmas period. What's that? I don't know. (laughs) Boris Johnson was insistent about the... uh, the mixing of households to take place over Christmas. And the thing is... He changed his mind three days later. So, do you think it would have been better, turned out better, if he'd just decided on the new rules 
on that day when they changed the tiers, when they found out about the new variant. Yeah, I mean, um, it comes back to the, the same question about you turning. Was he right to cut the days of, 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 of loosened restrictions? Yes. Should they have said that they could have been loosened in the first place? Probably not. It was based on what turned out to be the false well, yeah. that cases yeah. would be falling each day. To, yeah, because um, they said about this in November. How would they know what the coronavirus landscape would have been like in December? Exactly. In I mean, what what does what does um, surprise me is that we know how acrimonious the relationship is between Nicola Sturgeon and Boris Johnson and the other devolved administrations as well. But they, they, they were able to agree on this, and and so there's clearly some form of consensus about such a long period five five days as well. Yeah, because I was kind of sceptical about five days. I was thinking maybe it would be three days, like Christmas Eve, or maybe just Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and the day after Boxing Day, maybe. But, yeah, yeah it's so sweet. And it's led to Tier 4, and then, uh, again, on the 23rd, more people took t- put into Tier 4. I was quite surprised that we weren't put into Tier 4 then, because we heard about case rates doubling in Penrith and Carlisle. And... It's uh, oh, it, it, it's it's gonna be a tough old few weeks, but as we said, the vaccine is here, and hopefully, it isn't for much longer. Hopefully, a better twenty twenty one. Hopefully, I think it's it's lovely to think that um, yeah, it's a new year, a fresh start. Hopefully, and um, we do know that the vaccine is here. It works. They're being rolled out, uh, and hopefully, it will be won't be too long before I can come and hug you Thomas I don't a handshake a handshake handshake a bear hug a, bear. a, f- a fist bump <laughs> <laughs> um, so that concludes our 2020 review so now we move on to our predictions for 2021 So 2021 is here. 2020 has been the year that nobody wished for. And but the thing is, can it be much better with the COVID restrictions hanging around for quite a while? Do what do you think is going to happen with the COVID restrictions, Jacob? How long do you think we'll be in them for? Um. Well, I think as more and more people, more and more people get vaccinated, we'll surely see the number of deaths going down Mm -hmm. Uh, whether the government decides in effect to to bank these gains or whether they think okay that means we can we can loosen up or a little bit of both yeah Um, but we all now have that that date of the 5th of april in our minds yes as you said the um the 20 um the 25 million the magic number so in my opinion this is my prediction looking at a crystal ball that I think we'll go to similar style what we were, you know, in the summer, in July. You were still able to go out on holidays, mixed with one other household, stuff like that. Lighter restrictions. There's still restrictions in place, but not the ones that we're in now. Okay, I'm Because, yeah, I, I, I think that might happen once everyone's had that first dose. And it won't be until the second dose where people return more to normal, which could be about August time. Okay, well, I'm going to go actually a little bit further than that. 
and save it. By by the summertime, by the early summertime, July, I think there are going to be very few restrictions, maybe on the largest of gatherings. Um, and I think there still yeah. will be the recommendation, if not the social requirement, to self-isolate if you test positive. Um, but ho- hopefully, hopefully, things can get back to normal. So, any other predictions for 2021 for Jacob Reed? Have you got any other things that you think will happen? Yes, I think McLaren are going to win the uh, Formula Championship. <laughs> what, Daniel Ricciardo, a new driver? <laughs> yeah, him and him and Lando Norris look like a very promising partnership. They've got their Mercedes engine as well, finished third in, in this year. So, um, whoop, whoop, I'm ready and excited. <laughs> I'm really excited. So, I've... I've got. I don't know what to predict for twenty twenty one really. Oh, I had it. I did. Have I a think one prediction actually. Tom, Thomas will get a Tinder account. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, my main prediction actually is that uh, once the restrictions are eased, that there will be a cabinet reshuffle. Yeah. I've got a feeling that Mister Hancock could be out of his job. Um, I think it, I think Mr. Hancock, poor man, looks like he needs to sleep. Yeah, he does. To be honest, um, with uh, I think uh, Graham Brady was calling on him to resign, saying because Boris Johnson's clearly not going to resign, and then is he just going to remove all of the ones of his cabinet who've come out with at least with bad reputations? So, Pretty Patel, Gavin Williamson, Matt Hancock, all gone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, it doesn't, so if you do think Matt Hancock has done a bad job, uh, from a political perspective, it wouldn't look good if you were sacking your health secretary in the middle of a pandemic, pandemic. whereas a reshuffle, given given culture, or given a a maybe, well, he was culture, wasn't he, actually? Yeah, he was before he, Jeremy Hunt, uh, moved up to foreign secretary, and then he moved to health. Well, maybe, maybe Matt could become foreign secretary. <laughs> <laughs> the Matt Hancock going about trade deal. It's just funny, if you've seen the new spitting image, uh, they're just uh, Matt Hancock in a cabinet meeting is, I'll go behind the plant. Oh, <laughs> just imagine him funny. negotiating trade deals with people. I'll go it's behind like, the plant. I'm sorry about the R number, Mr. Cuddles. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also I think there'll be a, another shadow cabinet reshuffle. As I think they said about Keir Starmer, he kept John Ashworth in as shadow health secretary because he couldn't really change in the middle of a pandemic. So I've got a feeling that he might want to bring in his own shadow health secretary. Maybe, although I think he hasn't done a hasn't done a bad job and showed himself kind of willing to. Uh, bridge the two two Labour factions, but mm-hmm. but we shall see. Well, I I would like to predict that we'll actually hear a bit more from Keir Starmer in terms of policy because at, at the minute, wait, wait, we still don't really know. Yeah. we could we could do a prediction. This probably um isn't isn't a hugely surprising prediction that the SNP will win the Scottish elections. Yeah, indeed. Uh, oh, but you know. Will the elections still go ahead? Do you think elections will go ahead? Yeah, yeah, they'll have a healthy yeah. dose of postal voting, you'd, you'd imagine. Yeah, and uh, voter fraud. <laughs> <laughs> of um, course. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to come back next year and see if these predictions change. Well, not change, will have become possible. 
reality. Time, time will tell. Time will tell. I also think this time next year, Thomas, you'll have a great bushy ginger beard. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe, Jacob, this time next year you'll have a Mohican. <laughs> well, that is that is the plan. Yeah. That is the plan, indeed. Okay, so um, that is our predictions for 2021. Do you have any predictions for 2021? Go and email us at keepingitcurrent at outlook.com. You can also go to the Twitter, Twitter page at current underscore IT or the Instagram page keepingitcurrent2020. So now we move on to a review of this week's show. Right, so that, that was KRC's 2020 wipe. It's been enjoyable, hasn't it, Jacob? Revisiting, yeah. this, revisiting the horrific year that has just gone past. <laughs> a good old chin wipe, hasn't it, Thomas? Thank you. One a final fun thing to do if, if you want to make yourself laugh. Go on your phone, go to like the start of the middle of March on your gallery and look at your last pre-lockdown picture and remember how normal life felt. Okay, March. God. Let's get March. Um, <laughs> the picture of me with you. <laughs> yeah, mine, is, mine is a picture of me with you. <laughs> and just before that, I've got a picture of going to see Milton Jones at the Sound Centre in Carlisle, and a picture of me passing my driving test. So, yeah, normal things. Going to see a gig at uh, normal times. Normal times, indeed. So, <sighs> We will be back, though, in the new year for season five of Keeping It Current. Yes, I can't believe it. The commissioners are, want, are wanting more. And the first episode will be pressure groups. And I'm working on some great special guest interviews for that. And it will be monthly releases. So just to make sure that Jacob doesn't have the pain of speaking to me every week. Just limit it to every month. It'll be the highlight of my month, Thomas. The highlight of your month. So watch out for the end of January for that one. So uh, thank you to Jacob Reed for going through this wonderful, fantastic year, as Boris Johnson said that it was going to be in the start of the year. <laughs> thank you very much for doing that, Jacob. Thank you, Thomas. <laughs> And thank you to you guys for listening. We hope you've enjoyed all the Keeping It Current in 2020. There's been quite a lot, actually. A lot more than I thought would have happened because, you know, we thought we were going to be doing exams, but we didn't. And, uh, yeah. So thank you for all of you who have listened over last year. And there's only one thing left to do. Join us for Season 5, where we won't be keeping it cool. But we will be keeping it current. Goodbye.